there's all these plays out there that nobody is teaching and nobody is producing. And I think that that can change someone's life. This is a history. This is a Hello, and welcome to This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon Theater Podcast. I'm Emily Lyon, Artistic Director of Hedgebig Ensemble and a curator of Expand the Canon. And I'm Kleena Ko, curator of Expand the Canon and literary assistant at Roundabout Theater Company. And today we have an exciting guest. We're here with Anna Morton, literary director of Roundabout Theater Company. Hello. Hello, everyone. Just a little bit of context about Roundabout before we dive right in. Roundabout is a company that celebrates the power of theater by spotlighting classics from the past, cultivating new works of the present, and educating minds for the future. So basically what that means is that we simultaneously program revivals of classics and also foster in some new work by new playwrights in the same season. The additional context here is that Anna and I work together at Roundabout. Always great to get some other coworkers. Here, Kalina and I are working together. Anna and Kalina are working together. It's a nice little circle. And actually, I think it was Anna that originally recommended Kalina to us. So shout out to Anna. Thank you. Shout out to you being right here. So thank you. <laughs> and the Refocus Project is actually how we first got connected to Roundabout. So it's really a full circle moment. But before we talk about the details of that, Anna, I would love to know a little more about you. I know you came up through the McCarter, but tell us a little bit about your theater origin story and how you found yourself where you are today. Sure. I'll try to make this somewhat short and sweet. I I think as a lot of folks who work in theater acted in school because that's how we often get introduced to what theater can do and did a little bit of that when I was growing up. Um, I really fell in love with Shakespeare when I was in high school and through Shakespeare found that a script could be something that you could read on the page and it would have a very its own value and its own beauty and sort of be an uh, equally wonderful but different piece of artwork than what you consume when the script finally gets staged. I eventually learned that that wasn't just Shakespeare, it was all plays. And so that led me towards learning more about literary management and dramaturgy. So after college, I went down to McCarter Theater and I worked there for four years. And I was working in the artistic department, more focused on literary work, but a little bit of producing. And as, as I was approaching my, what I didn't know yet was my final year there, the former artistic director of the theater company, Emily Mann, who's also a playwright and director, she had been there for about 30 years and decided to step down to focus more on her directing and playwriting. And then I thought, well, okay, if Emily's leaving, she'd been a mentor to me, maybe it was time for me to look for something else. So I applied to an open position at Roundabout three years ago, which I'm sure we'll get into soon. Fabulous. And what what a great, clear I line. I feel like <laughs> our lives in theater are usually like, and then I did this 12 things and then this random thing happened. And it's it's really cool that you uh, have known with such clarity what you were interested in. And I also fell in love with Shakespeare in school and here we are. So I think that that's a great like, you know, while we do want to interrogate the canon, it's important to, to include mm -hmm. that guy and in what he wrote in school and stuff. 
so going back to refocus and kind of how we connected initially, um, I, I searched through my giant inbox and February 10th of 2021 oh is when he first sent me an email, sent me and Mary an email. And so thank you, Anna, for reaching out. Absolutely. You said that you were starting refocus, this new program that I would love for you to talk a little bit about. So please tell us more about Refocus, how it started, and your journey, the journey up to that first list. Yeah, Refocus began in 2021, as you mentioned. It started during quarantine, which was not really the what we had wanted or, or dreamed. I mean, nothing about quarantine was what any of us had wanted or, <laughs> or dreamed of or imagined. But we, it was both a program that was responsive to the moment we were in and also something we had been thinking about for a very long time. Jill, who I mentioned earlier, sort of realized in the late 2010s, I think, that with a production of Machinal by Sophie Treadwell that Roundabout produced in 2014, you both have heard story, have heard me tell the story a hundred times, so I apologize, but Roundabout produced Machinal on Broadway and Jill noticed after that production that the play was getting a lot more attention on, you know, college syllabi and at regional theaters and just kind of re-entered the cultural conversation in a way that it hadn't been in a while. And she thought, oh, I guess Roundabout choosing to produce this play really drew, put a spotlight on it in a way that was really exciting. How can we use that spotlight responsibly? How can we recognize that we have that power and not in a manipulative way, but just be able to sort of marshal some resources and attention on some plays that really deserve that attention, but haven't gotten it before. As with many programs, it took a number of years to kind of actually get off the ground. And it was only when we were in quarantine, we weren't producing our regular season. We were looking at all of these ways to continue engaging our audiences. We hadn't really entered into Zoom theater at Roundabout at that particular moment yet. But the idea behind the program was always to be amplifying underrepresented voices. And as the uprisings of the summer of 2020 happened and the We See White American Theater movement started, it became really clear that there was an opportunity for Roundabout to actually dive right into Refocus and use that first year to spotlight and celebrate Black American playwrights who have been writing forever <laughs> and here <laughs> forever. And unfortunately, their plays had not reached the level, some of them, not all of them, but the level of kind of celebration that they deserved. So all of those things came together and turned into our first year of Refocus, which was entirely virtual. We did five Zoom readings, two of which were of plays that were on your first, that was your first Expand the Canon list, right? Yeah, it was. So I think it was also just good a good timing thing. Like we were entering mm. this, this kind of more, we'd read a lot of older plays, but hadn't really focused, for lack of a better term, on what Refocus wanted to be in that first year. And as we really dove into that more kind of concentrated reading period, I was looking for resources that could help and found your website. And I was like, there's really seems to be a lot of alignment here. Before I had even read the plays that were you were recommending, I just was interested in the project. And then to read them and realize, no, we love both of these and we want to include them meant that we obviously had to connect and figure out other ways we could align. Which was so, as you say, it's like so gratifying. And that was such a wonderful moment for us too to be like, hey, this work is is doing what we hope it does. It's getting to the places we want it to. And 
important and exciting people are also jumping on this bandwagon. And I'm curious, you know, that was our first year. And also, I want to shout out that using that power for good, y'all did a production of Trouble in Mind by Alice Childress, which is not on our list. We picked Wedding Band, which is also excellent and I think has so much to offer to regional theaters. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's been really exciting seeing Alice Childress be on a lot more stages across the country. And so I'm really excited by by the potential of refocus by all of this work. So I'm curious too, now that you're going into your third list, Mm -hmm. which was just announced, what have you learned about the process and about the last three years of refocus in this work? So one of the things that we learned from that first year that was sort of a um, an unexpected pleasant surprise was I think had we started this program in a, in a universe where we never had COVID, we would have done, we were originally imagining that it would have been a live reading series in our theater because that wasn't possible at the moment that we ended up starting. We realized that by producing the readings virtually and releasing them online, it meant that people literally all over the world could watch them. We released them um, not all at the same time in like weekly increments, but they were available for free. So anybody could tune in. And that was exciting just because everybody's always excited about more reach, but specifically for the goals of this project, which have a lot to do with regional theater, schools, you know, the the folks in New York, but also further beyond. And I think sometimes those of us in the New York City theater world can get a little bit myopic and in thinking that we have a byproduct that we weren't even necessarily expecting. And once we did that, it became really clear that we couldn't turn back. Um, And so Mm -hmm. even though, but also wanted to produce the readings live because we also feel it's important to put the plays even in a reading setting on stage to really help folks imagine them in full productions on stage. So last year, the biggest thing that we did differently was that we produced one night live readings. We were collaborating with uh, Pregones Puerto Rican Traveling Theater last year when we were focused on plays from the Latinx community, plays and musicals from the Latinx community. Pregones PRTT is a fantastic company. Everybody should check them out. And and they've been doing this work to highlight and celebrate and keep up the conversation around Latinx work and, and specifically Puerto Rican work in New York for many, many, many years. So we produced two readings in our theater, one of our theaters and two readings in their theater and also filmed them and then did an editing process over the summer and then released the readings, three of the readings, streams of them for free to watch last fall. Um, Lena, I don't know if you want to talk about anything that, that we've learned this year or things we're doing differently. Yeah, it's still hard to curate a list is what I'm always reminded of. But no, I think if last year the big thing was our shift back into person, I think this year, it, it seems so obvious whenever I say it out loud, but I'm, I think this year I'm really struck by how different sort of the approaches for each community of folks we're focusing on. API playwrights need sort of a different type of amplification and connection and our community needs a different support than Latinx playwrights or Black American playwrights or any other playwrights. And so I think what's really struck me this year is that we've shifted a little bit of our approach. And I'd love to dig a little more into that as well, because Expand the Canon is hugely into curating these lists. As we've read almost a thousand plays, 
at this point, which is crazy. We definitely have learned that not all plays deserve to be amplified. Many do, many are excellent, but you know, they're not all created equal. So I would love to hear kind of about your research process too, and about how you're finding these plays to sort through and curate. So what is sort of like the curation process for Refocus? And as you said, Kalina, like these different communities need different resources or support. And I'd love to hear a little more about that too. So maybe how that sort of curation process and, and research process differs through all three years. Yeah, I've been involved with the past two years and I've also been involved with Expand the Canon as our listeners know. And I think it's been it's been interesting for me to sort of be involved in all these different ways to see how it differs. I think the big sort of difference for refocus for me and sort of all of my research is that it's so, we've been so focused in, in some ways, very focused in some ways, not focused. API community is a very big term, but it's also more specific than expand the canon's mission that encompasses international playwrights and translated works. And, and for me, that specificity really helps me decide whether a, a rabbit hole is worth going down or not. So I remember really specifically last year when we were doing our research for Latinx playwrights, we decided that we really wanted to focus on folks with a strong American tie or a strong US tie. And so, you know, there's so many wonderful Latinx playwrights from South America and, and Central America, but it made it a lot easier for me to eliminate, seems like a hard word, but perhaps not pursue <laughs> certain pathways because I knew that they weren't going to be fruitful for our specific purposes. And so I think actually the like very specific scope of refocus is really helpful in sort of thinking about curation. But then I also think the other piece of it is that we, every year, or at least for the past two years, I'm going to let Anna curse me on this if this is wrong, we have uh, hired a, a consultant for the specific year and who has that specific cultural background and is perhaps a little bit more tapped into sort of what the community needs and wants than the like permanent staff members we have here. On top of that, especially in the past few years, we have had reading support. As you know, it's hard to read a lot of plays in a short amount of time. And so we've enlisted this year and last year, we enlisted a group of three additional, we call them lead readers, who helped us power through a lot of plays, who are from the communities that we're focusing on. And then on top of that, we have another layer after the curators, the, the lead readers, and the advisor, once the group of us figure out a finalist list, narrow down our choices a little bit, we send that out to a broader artistic council, we call them, who are roundabout affiliates, who are interested in reading lots of plays and who come from that cultural background and from that community and feel like they can and want to speak a little bit to that. And we consult that artistic council on our finalist list and they then give us lots of feedback and lots of things to mull over and chew on and disagree and agree and fight over plays. And then we narrow it down through some magic to a shorter list that we present as our refocus list. So there's just lots of voices and rounds of reading and heated debates about which plays we should include and somehow through magic we then choose our final list. Would you say these plays go roundabout through all those series of groups? That's a great yes that's a great way of saying it um, and I do think I mean we did it we had a different process the first year hmm. part of what from a sort of value standpoint I think the addition of these voices 
has been really important because a question that came up a lot, even in the first year, was, well, if we're producing Tennessee Williams' sixth best play, then we should be producing Alice Childress's best play. Like, that's something that kind of comes up frequently. So if we're saying that we want to take responsibility for our history and our power and kind of helping to shape this canon, why are we the people to then say, these are the classics from this community when we don't have that expertise? And so from a value standpoint, that is part of why we brought in all of these readers, because we want to have more voices in that conversation. And then it also helps from a logistical standpoint and a number of plays, and we can just read more plays when we have more people on board, as, as you both have mentioned. And in terms of finding the plays, Kalina does a ton of that work. But I think, you know, as with, it's probably the case for you all, though we have a little bit different of a focus, libraries, anthologies, deep rabbit hole Google searching. One of the plays that we are doing a reading of this year, when I spoke to the playwright, he was just so shocked that we had even found it because it was produced in a an anthology that was like a very much an academic anthology. And he was like, I didn't think that anybody, you know, would ever read it. Like I was happy to have it be published when they asked, but I wasn't expecting that anybody would ever read it. And if they did, I thought it would be in a classroom or a PhD student or something like that. I never imagined that 20 years later, I would be sitting here having this coffee with you talking about you doing a reading of my play. So, you know, I think that was just an interesting thing for me to think about, too. You never know when these things will come back around. What a lovely moment. Those moments of gratification are like so part of why we do this. That's awesome. But yeah, that's a great pivot point, too. Tell me a little more about this year's list. What excites you about these titles? What's coming up? I think... I love all the plays on our list this year. I mean, I, that's true every year, but I just am really <laughs> excited about these pieces. Two of the things that come to mind for me, one of them is not even about the, and actually the eight, eight plays that we chose, but just the process of reading. And this is something that our lead advisor this year, Jess McLeod, frequently said, there was something so moving and exciting about the volume of plays that we got to read and just looking at the kind of full, even though they didn't all make it onto the list, but there were so there's so many wonderful plays that are still out there that didn't aren't on our list. And, you know, even then there's some not so good ones that we read, but that's okay. And to just look at that and go that volume and go, wow, these plays exist and and are here and we should be doing them. We should be talking about them. It was just really cool. Something that's been really exciting specifically about the four plays that we're doing readings of, which are Ola Na Iwi, The Bones Live by Victoria Nelani Nubiol, Chaos Theory by Anubab Pal, Big Hunk of Burn in Love by Prince Komovilas, and Tea by Valina Hasu Houston. All four of those writers are alive, which is not something that we have had in our past two years of refocus. So the story I just told being an example, just connecting with those folks has been really exciting. And I think partly because of that, we've had a, a newer focus this year too on finding ways to uplift and highlight contemporary living AAPI playwrights and the work that's being created today. So we're doing a partnership with Mai Theater on an essay series. But I think that, you know, we've been talking a lot about the unbroken thread and how the kind of natural next step of this of refocus and of this process that we're going through right now is to then say, great, what are the contemporary works that we should also be producing and looking at, even though that's sort of slightly outside of the scope and mission of the original refocus idea. It's it's a continuum. So that is something that we've been talking about a lot as well. 
Yeah, I think the other piece of this year, I don't know if we officially said, this year's focus is API playwrights. Saying it officially for the podcast. Um, the other exciting thing for me this year is that we actually expanded our list to be eight this year. The first year we did five readings, last year we did four readings, and this year we're still doing four readings, but we've decided to focus on a bigger list of eight plays because as we were trying to pick those four, we just realized it wasn't enough. We we're like, we need more. Mm -hmm. And eight still doesn't really feel like enough to really encompass the totality of API theater, but it feels like it's, we're, we're inching closer to being able to encompass something. And so it's really exciting to me to be able to think about really being able to celebrate eight plays and thinking about different ways to celebrate them. So we're doing readings of the four that Anna mentioned, and then we have an additional four plays that are also on our refocus list, which include Yankee Dog You Die by Philip Khan Gotanda, The Music Lesson by Wakako Yomauchi, which was also a playwright on Expand the Canons list. Woo. We have Walls by Jeannie Baroga, and we have The Life of the Land by Edward Sakamoto. We decided to think about an essay series that would also serve to highlight some contemporary playwrights. And it seemed like a really logical choice to work with Mayu's Writers Lab, which is the largest Asian American and Pacific Islander writers group in the US and as their artistic director likes to say in the universe. And so we decided to draw on them and, and invite their playwrights to write some essays about the play and also about their own process as artists. And it's a, been a really lovely way for us to you know, highlight that unbroken thread that Anna talks about and think about how to connect this canon to contemporary playwrights. And also, I hope that it'll serve as like a really lovely essay series for educators to use, for people to learn more about API theater and to interact with theater in sort of a different way that I think is really exciting. I think we've mentioned in a lot of different ways sort of why this work, both expand the canon and refocus, is necessary but i'd love to take a moment to really focus haha on that question so why in all of your findings over the past three years in creating this project why is this such important work to be doing i think there are so many reasons and i think that two things that come to mind for me are you had mentioned earlier the production of trouble in mind that roundabout did i guess only a year and a half ago it feels like <laughs> It was a hundred years ago. That I think was an example. And also, though it, technically Trouble in Mind was not one of our refocused plays, it sort of had a similar genesis. Um, it came from a similar effort. It was something that Jill and Charles Randolph Wright, who directed the play and is a wonderful director and playwright himself and a member of Roundabout's board of directors, actually, as well. He's been in our family for a long time. The two of them had been really excited about Trouble in Mind and wanting to get that on Broadway for a while. And when things came together uh, to have that be one of the shows that we reopened our season with when when we were coming back to um, produce after the pandemic, it was one of those experiences where it felt like both the play was so overdue to be seen on Broadway and it was the perfect time for that play. And I think that that is just an example of when this work is happening and when it's going really well. People were coming to see that play. And there was one day where I think they did like a special matinee for performers who were in other Broadway productions that fall because everybody was performing at the same time. And so they couldn't, you know, obviously couldn't come to see a show because they were doing their own, you know, they were in Passover and that was performing that right. same uh, time. So we invited uh, a bunch of folks to see the performance and apparently the audience just went wild. I wasn't able to go, but 
everybody was just recognizing, unfortunately, many things that were happening on stage in Trouble in Mind in their own experiences, feeling really seen, and that that was like a very exciting community moment um, to celebrate, especially because there were so many Black plays on Broadway that fall. And then other folks would come and see it who are maybe part of our regular audiences aren't in the business, and they would go, wow, I hadn't thought about this before. I hadn't thought about the ways that these performers are sometimes put into uncomfortable situations, abusive situations that, you know, it's just, I think Childress's writing is so incredible. And she says in, you know, a paragraph or a page, like something that, no offense to other writers, but, you know, some folks take a whole play to try to say and don't quite get there in as, in as exacting of a way that she does. But so that's sort of a more specific thing. I think that also this work is the kind of work that I think I don't want to speak for all three of us, but, you know, I think there's a reason we're each doing this, that sometimes in the plays that I would read when I was in school, besides Shakespeare, for whatever reason, I didn't always see myself. And that can be hard when you love theater when you love a form and you're sort of trying to figure out how you might fit into it because everybody or you know I started as an actor and I was like but wait I don't know if I can play these characters because they weren't written for me that kind of thing and so to then read a play that maybe isn't being taught but somebody hands you you have that mentor or that person who says I really think you should take a look at this I think this might really speak to you and realize that there's all these plays out there that nobody is teaching and nobody is producing. And I think that that can change someone's life. Like one play like that can change someone's life to like, so to be able to amplify more than one play and maybe make it slightly more likely that a young person or, or not a young person, but someone who loves theater will come across it and see themselves and be able to imagine things for themselves that they hadn't beforehand. That sounds like really schlocky and hokey, but I really do believe it. Um, so I think that those are a couple of reasons why it's important to me. Yeah, I have, my brain is jumping everywhere. I'm like, I have so many reasons. I remember when I was first joining or thinking about joining the Expand the Canon Curator pool and you all were first thinking about seeing if I was a good fit for it and talking with you all. And someone, I think maybe it was Mary asked me, she was like, I know you're working on refocus at roundabout and also we are interested in having you join this and i was interested in joining and they're like and you all were like are you gonna get bored like is that how do you feel about doing so much stuff with like classics and revivals and i think a lot about like the different reach and different like it's a similar mission for refocus and expand the canon but it's like a slightly different reach and there's a slightly different intention that, that can power it i think expand the canon has such a, a capacity for really just spreading the word out there to so many people, whether they be like avid theater lovers or younger folks who are still trying to find their way. There's just like such a potential because Expand the Canon has such a big list and because so much of what we do is think about how do we make these scripts and cuts of these scripts readily available to people um, as much as possible. And then I think the piece for Refocus for me is that I, I think a lot about Roundabout's mission and, and I was lucky enough to grow up in my theater growing up, I guess, with a high school teacher who was really supportive of giving me AAPI playwrights to read. And like, I think one of my, the first plays I ever read was a David Henry Kwong play. And, and I, from the very beginning, I like think a lot about how I like didn't read Tennessee Williams and O'Neill first. I read like David Henry Kwong and Lena Sue Houston first um, and feel really lucky to have done that. But then I think about how 
then I got out of that high school and, and came into a world that was just producing O'Neill and Williams and Arthur Miller and A, me not really having a grounding in that and B, also being really confused by like, there are these giants in API theater that I know about and that all of these folks know about, but that I'm not seeing on stages that aren't like East West players or culturally specific spaces. And so I think about roundabout's capacity to bring these plays out of just a, a culturally specific sphere and, and put our endorsement behind it. And I think that's sort of the balance that I'm always trying to figure out with refocus is that I, I don't want roundabout to ever be like we're doing we've discovered this play because I, I think all of us here recognize that we haven't like people have discovered it long before but also recognizing that it means something different when a company is big and as as with the reputation that roundabout has is throwing their endorsement behind it and also for me personally it's just i would really love for south pacific and miss saigon to no longer be the defining elements of an api canon I I hear you on that, which I guess is a great lead in also to sort of my next question is what what are your hopes for the next 20 years in theater? What do we what do we hope that that sort of span looks like? What might the canon be like in 20 years? What what do you hope to see? Something that I've just been thinking about a lot is though I know revivals go on a cycle. At a certain point, it's like, how many times can we do some of these plays? <laughs> and so I'm excited <laughs> by the idea just from a practical standpoint of having more plays that we can <laughs> pull from because there are more plays that we can pull from. And so to be able to amplify some that folks should be looking at in that world is something that I'm hoping we see, we see that pan out for all the reasons that we just discussed. Yeah, I think the same. I'm also curious about what are, what are going to be our new classics in 20 years, both in terms of like, what are things that we're going to have found in the in the next 20 years that we're like, oh, yes, remember how this should be a classic or should be a, a revival? And also sort of in the mission of contemporary playwrights, I'm like, 20 years is a long time. And some of our plays, you know, the latest play on our refocus list was first produced in 2005. Wow. So who knows what we will consider a classic then. Awesome. Is there anything else I should have asked about or anything else you want to talk about and highlight? discuss, dig into? I think I just want to say that one of the hallmarks of the refocus experience for me and talking to the two of you and what you were sort of, Kalina, the story you just told about when you were first in conversation with Hedgepig about Expand the Canon reminded me is that the people doing this work are coming at it from such a spirit of abundance. And I think that's something we talk a lot about in the theater industry and is something that we're really working towards. And I personally found during the pandemic that everybody really started putting their money where their mouth was in that arena. An example being the the production of English that Roundabout did with Atlantic Theater Company that just that Sanaz Tusi just won a Pulitzer for. So that I think Kalina is going to be one of our classics in 20 years that we're looking back on. I think English is firmly cemented in the canon, which makes me so excited. But there's a world where sometimes with new work or in other kind of arenas of the theater, it's like having Kalina be working on both of these projects would be seen as, you know, oh, maybe there's a conflict of interest there. And that's just so not what this is about, because the whole point is that we want more people to be doing this work and learning about this work. And none of us have discovered these plays, as you said, Kalina. So it's not it's not about credit. Like there's no credit to be given or taken away in this kind of process. And so I think that 
a lot of the connections we've talked about, the fact that we were able to make this this connection back in 2021. Also thinking about um, Classics, the company that Awoye Timpo started with her mm-hmm. uh, collaborators, who we I know we have all talked to, and how their work led to production of Wedding Band by Childress last year again. And then, you know, Jill is producing Wine in the Wilderness, which was on our first refocus list at Classic Stage Company next year. And just so it's like we're seeing the fruits of this work. I think it sometimes can be slow. And that's why that positive feedback that we were talking about earlier, when you like hear about somebody who read a play on the list, and it's so exciting, that can just be such a nice spur to keep you going. But I do think that now this a little bit relates to the question about what, um, what we want to see in 20 years. But like, now is when we're going to start seeing the results of the work that we did three years ago. And we are at Roundabout producing in a full production our first play from our one of our refocus lists next season. We're doing um, Home by Sam Art Williams on Broadway. So I'm really looking forward to that as well. That play has been on Broadway before, but it's due for a revival. And hopefully more people will get to know it after our production because it's a really fantastic work. I've been thinking about, especially this year, sort of the way in which theater mirrors, well, obviously it takes place in our history, but like how it reflects our history, our U.S. history with API theater. We've been talking a lot about like waves of immigration for API artists and how that then is reflected in sort of the backgrounds of the playwrights that we are reading from each era or that we are or are not able to find in sort of different time periods. And so I think what's really exciting to me about this year and also I think maybe relates a little bit to sort of why this work is necessary is I've been thinking a lot lately about sort of using theater as like a way to talk about that history or or sort of the intersections of it and how those two relate. And so I think a lot about sort of the potential for thinking about um, a theater and education and like how to bring that back in. And I think revivals are a really fruitful place to to talk about social history and, and history and a way to bring theater back into education spaces. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think it's so exciting to see more of these plays on both of our lists get included in syllabi in classrooms. And I love, Kalina, what you were saying earlier about, I grew up knowing these giants um, and was confused about why we're not seeing them on stage all the time. That is my hope for the next 20 years is like, everyone who graduates every theater school is like, hey, y'all, what happened to my favorite plays, which you're not doing? (laughs) So how can folks engage with Refocus this year if they're in New York or if they're not? You can go to Roundabout's website, Roundabout Theater, theater with an R-E dot org, and get tickets there to any of the live readings. They are all free. You do have to still reserve a ticket just so we're keeping an eye on numbers. And also on our website, there are some additional resources like the essay series that Kalina was talking about earlier, and more will be added throughout the summer as we gear up for the streaming of the readings, which will be happening in the fall of 2023. I can never remember the exact dates, but it's sometime in October into November. (laughs) So if you're not in New York City, uh, or if you are, but you can't make it to the live readings, there will be another opportunity to watch them in the fall. Did I forget anything, Kalina? I don't think so. Oh, check out our yes. resources online. There's also a lovely recommended reading list if you're craving even more than eight plays. There's a long list of more plays that you can read. 
Thank you so much for your time, both of you, and your work in helping us expand the American canon. As they mentioned, you can learn more about Refocus at roundabouttheater.org. And you can, of course, always learn more about Expand the Canon at expandthecanon.com. If you believe in the importance of expanding the canon, which I really hope you do because you just listened to a long podcast about it, (laughs) please give us a review and subscribe to this podcast. And then hit the share button and forward it along to a friend, colleague, or professor. For info on what's up next for Hedgepig, you can follow us on Instagram. At Hedgepig Ensemble Theater. Facebook. Slash Hedgepig Ensemble Theater. Or join our mailing list at hedgepigensemble.org. And you can, of course, support this effort by donating at the links in the comments below. Again, I'm Kalina. I'm Emily. And we were so glad to have Anna Morton here. Also, special thanks to Carla Esquivel for editing this episode. So keep refocusing and expanding that canon. Thanks y'all.